you're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Just a couple minutes of your time. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, Advent from that text that Ann Morgan just read for us. Um, So... Friday after Friendsgiving, my family, we loaded up our car and we drove to the beach for a much needed family vacation. Now, here's the thing. That was our first family vacation that we've taken since Sam was born. And so this was our first time driving a long distance with two kids in the car. And this trip, it started, it started really nice, started awesome. Bear's talking about the Smokies. And he's talking about Tennessee and how much he loves living here. And Sam's falling asleep and it's wonderful. And Jess and I are like actually being able to talk and it's marvelous. We're driving and we get two hours in and we hit Asheville, North Carolina. And all hell breaks loose. Chaos begins. We're sitting in traffic and it all starts falling apart. And here's how it fell apart. Two kids, two different ways. You've got Bear. And I swear, somebody pulled him aside before we left, and it might have been one of you on Thursday at Friendsgiving. Somebody pulled my kid aside and said, hey, listen, buddy, you're a kid. And so what that means is it is your job to ask your father every 10 minutes, are we there yet? (laughs) Like, I thought that was just something that you saw on TV, but it is a reality. My four-year-old son, every 10 minutes from Asheville till Hilton Head, South Carolina, said, dad, are we there yet? How close are we? How long's four hours? He asked it over and over and over and over again, every 10 minutes. He fell asleep for a little bit. And that was a brief reprieve from the constant asking of this question. But then he woke up and he's like, boom, are we there yet? I was like, no, you you were asleep for 30 minutes. So he's asking that continually. Okay. And then on the other side of the car, you have Sam, sweet Sam. He woke up and lost his ever-loving mind. (laughs) Sweaty car seat just took over, and he loses it, screaming. And Bear's screaming at him because Sam's screaming at him. And I'm like, Jess, can I put AirPods in? She's like, no, you're the father of our children. My husband, you are not putting AirPods in right now. (laughs) It's chaos breaking out. Sweet Sam is losing it. And here's why. Here's why Bear was able to handle it, and Sam was not. Sam had no idea what the trip was all about. He had no idea where we were going. He doesn't, he's 18 months old. He doesn't conceptually understand the idea of traveling towards a destination and the waiting that is involved in that process. He didn't get it. All he got was sweaty, seatbelt, car seat, Cheerios in his butt nonsense. And he's losing it. And then you got Bear. And he's able to put up with all the nonsense from Sam because of two things, Chick-fil-A, praise God for Chick-fil-A, And secondly, because he knew where we were going. And so his constant asking of this question, are we there yet? He knew we weren't there yet. There's mountains all around him. He's not dumb. He knows we're not at the ocean yet. He's asking himself that to remind himself of the hope of where he's going. That's what Advent is. We are naturally like my son, Sam, prone to forget where it is that we are headed. And so we give in to despair though not of the sweaty seatbelt car seat kind, but of the life going on around us as college students kind. We give in to the despair of looking around at this world, looking around at our life, 
seeing the brokenness, and being tempted to give in to the frustration of the chaos that's all around us. And so we need Advent. We need this time of intentionally remembering the promises of God and the hope of where you are headed. That there really is a light that has dawned in the midst of darkness, and that light is growing and will one day totally and completely take over the darkness. That's what our text is about. This promise that the angel gives to Mary, it contains in a very brief form the full extent of our hope. Look back at the text. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. So first, Mary's told that she's going to conceive and bear a son. She's going to have a baby. And Mary's like, no, I'm not. What are you talking about? I'm a virgin. You gotta, something's got to happen to have a baby. That hasn't happened yet. I'm not married yet. You know what this is going to mean? For, like, if this happens, you know what this is going to mean for me and the community that I live in? My life's going to fall apart because I just had a baby out of marriage. This isn't, this isn't happening. And the angel answers her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So what this is getting at is the virgin birth. That's what we talk about in Christianity, the virgin birth. And that's this idea that God himself formed a human being inside a real living woman. And so the baby that was born was both fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ of Nazareth was not half God and half man. He was fully God and he was fully man. And this is important because it shows just how far your God was willing to go and is willing to go in order to have you. He was willing to step into obscurity. Being born to a woman of Nazareth, which is like being born to a woman of Knoxville. Like a little, it's not New York City. It's not Chicago. It's not Paris. It's not the big cultural centers of the world. It's a little backwater town. I love Knoxville. But you get what I'm saying. And not only this, but he's born in shameful circumstances. People thought that Mary had this child, that Jesus Christ was born from some dad who up and left and never married. He was born in shameful circumstances. And he did all of this. He entered into this kind of shame. He entered into the world in these circumstances to express in part the the lengths that he was willing to go in order to have you. And this is what you were made for. To live with God in this world, to have his presence, to be with him. Think about the most ridiculous things that parents do in order to be with their kids. Last night, I got home from work, and I walked in the front door, and Bear screams and yells, and he runs up to me, and he says, I'm going to tackle you because I love you. And so I didn't throw him down and wrestle him like an adult man. I wrestled him like a little four-year-old boy, right? And then Sam toddles over, and he jumps on top of me, and he's wrestling with me. And I'm using, like, baby talk with them. Like, if I talked like that in front of you guys, you guys would get up, laugh, and then leave. Like, just ridiculous things that I'm saying. And then at one point, Sam bites the butt of my jeans. Like, my son, my one 18-month-old son bit me in the butt. 
like ridiculous stuff. And then Bear's like, oh, this is funny. I'm going to buy Dad in the butt. And I'm like, no, you're four. You can't do that. But the ridiculous lengths that a parent goes to in order to enter in at their kid's level. Why do we do this? It's because we love our kids. That's a small picture of what God does in the incarnation, in him becoming a man. It's him expressing the lengths that he's going to go in order to have you. That's the first step. Jesus comes to be with us in the incarnation so that then he can live a perfect life, die, resurrect, and ascend up into heaven and then give you his Holy Spirit so that even right now, if you are in Christ, God actually dwells with you now. But it's not complete. One day he will return and you will be with your God forever. And that is what you were made for. And that's what the incarnation points us to. And then the second part of this announcement to Mary. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary, listen, your son's going to be a king. And not just any king, but he's going to be the king of all creation. The king of the cosmos, the king of all the universe. You see, the fall, when mankind sinned against God, that was man rejecting the kingship of God. That was man rejecting God's authority. And that's what you and I do every single day of our lives. We reject our king. We reject his authority. And because of this, because of our rejection of his kingship, we're rebels of him. And that's created the darkness in this world around us. We rebelled, and that's led to the darkness that we see. We wanted not to live under God's authority, but to live under our own authority. I have a friend, and he does this, he did this little experiment with his kids. I'm talking a lot about my kids tonight. It's Christmas, they're on my mind. He did this experiment with his kids, and I can't wait to do it with my kids when they're old enough. And here's what he did. You see, his kids were always asking him, you and mommy, you guys are in control. When do we get to be in control? When do we get to be in charge? And so finally, my friend and his wife, they'd had enough of it. And they were like, all right, you know what? You guys get to be in charge tomorrow. From the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, you all are in charge of this house. And so what happened? The kids woke up the next morning and they went to my friend and they said, all right, dad, what's for breakfast? And he said, I don't know. You guys are in charge. Go for it. And they were like, okay, really? Like we're in charge? He's like, yes, you all are in charge. Go for it. So they get out all their Halloween candy and they start gorging themselves on Halloween candy. And at some point, one of the brothers finds out that there's a can of whipped cream in the fridge, and he's like, y'all, whipped cream. And so they're just gorging themselves on whipped cream and on Halloween candy. And then they're like, hey, we don't have to do chores. We're going to watch cartoons all morning. And so for five hours, they sit in front of the TV, eating and eating and eating and just staring at cartoons. And then that headache sets in that comes from like staring at a screen for a long time and being dehydrated. You guys, maybe you know what I'm talking about. But that starts to set in. And you could see it in their faces of just this like, ah, our authority sucks. This is the worst. When can mom and dad be in charge again? So they go to them and they're like, hey, mom, dad, what's for dinner? They're like, I, I don't know. This is up to you guys. And so at this point, the kids start to break down. And they're like, guys, we don't like being in control. This is terrible. Can you please order some pizza for us? That's what we've done. We've rejected our God's authority. And in so doing, we've made a hell that we live in. And ultimately, that's what hell will be. Is God giving you over completely and entirely to your own authority. 
And what a disaster that will be. But God loves you too much for that to be the case. And so ever since the fall, he's been working to subdue his creation back to himself, to enter back in as a king. And so you see it promised all throughout the Old Testament. That was promised in the passage that Rachel read a few moments ago. All these promises of a king who will come and his rule will be good. And then you get this promise to Mary. And it's a promise that the king will return and he will complete his rule. And that's what the entire scripture, the entire story of scripture has been telling us, that God himself is resubduing his creation. And so how does he do it? How does he do it? Well, first he becomes a man and then he lives the perfect life that we've talked about, dies a shameful death, taking the full brunt of all of God's justice for sin so that all who believe in him would no longer be rebels, but be called sons and daughters of the king. And that's the story of the gospel of John that we've looked at this entire semester. But the story doesn't end when Jesus rises from the dead and ascends back into heaven. The story doesn't end. That was just D-Day. Do you guys know the difference between D-Day and V-E Day? D-Day was the day that the Allies in World War II, they broke into the continent of Europe. And because they broke into the continent of Europe, the war really began and they began to move throughout Europe and the battle began to be waged. That's what Jesus' first coming was. It was D-Day. That's what we're living in right now is the time between that and VE Day, which is the day that the Allies won, the day that victory was actually achieved. And that's what we're waiting for. We're in the midst of that story right now, waiting for our king to return. And when he returns, he will judge all of creation and all the sad things will come untrue. Wrongs will be perfectly righted, death will be swallowed up, and we will live forever in a perfect, loving delight with our God and with all of creation. That's the promise of where you are headed. And we're in the midst of that story now. But we're not there yet. And so what do we do? We wait and we hope. Advent trains us in these things, how to wait and how to hope. I don't know if this is for sure, but I'm pretty sure that our practice of giving Christmas presents arose in some way to train us in that, to wait and to hope, and to be trained in those two things, to wait and to hope. And that's what this whole night is about. These readings that remind us of God's promises, those things that he's already completed, that Jesus really has come, and he has died, and he has risen again from the dead, and your sins are paid for. Your shame is paid for. God views you not as a rebel, but as a beloved son or daughter of the king of the universe, regardless of how you feel about yourself. That is how God the Father views you. And yes, those things are completed, but we are still waiting on him to return and make all the sad things come untrue. And so that is the rhythm of Advent. And we live all our lives in this until his return. We acknowledge the darkness of this world. We acknowledge that things are not the way that they should be. We weep with those who weep and we mourn with those who mourn and we remember the promises of God that this is not how things should be and we need you to come again and make all things right. And this waiting and this clinging to hope, it will be rewarded. It was so great. Bear, he, uh, he fell asleep an hour or so before we got to Hilton Head and then he woke up and he's asking, are we there yet? And he's asking that as we're driving onto the island and there's Christmas lights everywhere, and it's like the beach, right? Like, he gets it. 
And then we get to our house and he walks out on the balcony and he can smell the salt air and he can see the beach and he can hear the waves crashing. And he wakes up the next morning and he runs out on the beach and he wants to go in the water, but it's like 55 degrees, so we're not gonna let him do that. But we dig sand castles and we eat wonderful food and it's the whole beach vacation thing. His waiting and his hoping was rewarded. If your hope is in Christ, the one who became a man by becoming a little baby, born on Christmas, and living a perfect life, if your hope is in him, then you need to know that where you are headed is good. And that all the darkness that you experience in this life, the broken relationships, the anxiety, the depression, the rampant insecurity that you just can't get rid of, the sins that you hate, but they won't go away, the suffering and the death, all of this darkness, it will come untrue. A light will dawn in the midst of that darkness. Jesus will return and make all the sad things come untrue. Cling to that hope. Wait and cling to that hope. That is what Advent trains us in. RUF is a community of students that is trying to learn how to love God, love people, and love the University of Tennessee. The way that we do that is to create safe places for students of all types and backgrounds to process the story of Jesus and to learn how to integrate their lives into his story. For more information, follow us on Instagram at UTK underscore RUF or visit our website at www.ruf.org slash UTK.